Let me pray as we, uh, before we jump into our fourth Sunday, thinking about this idea of becoming more like Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for our time and the space we have here together this morning to be able to open it, to reflect on it, to think about it, to ask what you're saying to us through it. And we ask that you would strengthen and develop our relationship with you and therefore our relationships with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ this morning as we spend this time together. Well, thank you for your faithfulness to us in all things. Thank you for the gospel that has been given to us, that has changed our lives. Lord, may it continue to transform us and shape us this morning as we think about what it means for our day-to-day lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning or you have it on your phone or device, uh, I'd love you to uh, open up to Luke chapter 4, Gospel according to Luke chapter 4. Um, and we'll, we'll, we're not going to go straight there, but you'll have that ready for when, once we reach um, about midway through that chapter, Luke chapter 4. Uh, a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, I introduced our, our theme for the year, Becoming, it was there, um, uh, Becoming More Like Jesus. The, the life of a disciple is about that. It's about becoming more and more like Jesus, not just for the sake of becoming like him, but so that the fruit of our life becomes more like the fruit of his life, so that what the things he did become the things we do. Uh, Dallas Willard, uh, author and pastor and, and writer, said, said, the greatest issue facing the world today, big statement, is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples of Jesus or students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus. The reason I think this is, this is true and that Willard uh, had it right is because it's, it's actually just the reality that we are all disciples of something or someone. We're all disciples in some way. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that you're not being discipled if you're not being discipled by Jesus. The only question is who or what is actually discipling you? Is it Jesus? Is he the one who you follow and model your life after? Or is it something else that is designed to form you into a particular type of person? We're all being discipled by someone or something. John Mark Comer puts it this way, we become like whatever we gaze upon. Whatever we gaze upon, spend our time looking at, that shapes us in some way. For example, we scroll through social media for hours and hours, and then we become more anxious and short-tempered and short-sighted about what's really important. Or we look all day at unrealistic depictions of beauty, and then we become overly self-conscious, we become insecure because we're gazing upon that. Or we look at food all day and we become hungry. I don't know if that's technically kind of fits this principle. However, Karen and I saw Wonka the other night. Anyone seen the new it's about the sort of the backstory of Willy Wonka? And I swear I had cravings for chocolate from like five minutes into the movie until the very end. As soon as the movie finished, I'm like, we go get dessert. I bust in to get out of here. Just because the whole movie you see chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. 
Whether that fits the principle, I'm not sure. But what do we gaze upon? We become like. On the other hand, when we gaze upon Jesus, observe his life, and we spend time with him in the stillness, and we pay attention to his presence with us, we slowly, slowly become more like him. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. That's the process of a disciple to his rabbi. Jesus disciples us as opposed to something or someone else when we gaze upon him. That's why we started at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry a few weeks ago. If you go, well, how do we, we look at what, what Jesus was like? Well, start at the beginning. It's important we go there. Uh, what was it that set Jesus up for such an extraordinary life, such an extraordinary ministry at the very uh, beginning? First of all, we did this two weeks ago, it was a great confidence in the Father's love. Everything else flowed from a deep belief and assurance that his father loved him, his father was pleased with him, not because of anything that he'd done, because at that point he'd done nothing, pretty much. But it was because, this confidence in father's love was because he knew who he was. This is at the core, the very, very core of a disciple who is becoming more like Jesus. You grasp the reality that you are loved, you are accepted, affirmed, you're even liked, not just loved by your father, but your father likes you. And it's not connected to your performance. It's not based on what you do or have done. This is at the core of a disciple of Jesus. Secondly, uh, Jesus was steadfast in the face of temptation. Rob looked at this last Sunday and had some great observations about how Jesus was able to handle the typical temptations of appetite, Approval and ambition. These are the three things we see through the scriptures. Appetite, approval, and ambition. Uh, one of the principles Rob talked about was going straight to God's word to, to resist those things. But I want to ask you if you see the connection between what was week one and week two of this kind of miniseries. How was Jesus able to face the temptations of the enemy and stay strong, stay steadfast. How was Jesus able to resist temptation? He knew who he was. That's it. He was confident in his father's love, and that gave him a strength in the face of temptation. Multiple times, Satan says, I don't know if you've, you've picked this up or heard me say this before, multiple times in that passage early in Luke 4, if you are the son of God, Satan says, if you're the son of God, he's trying to question the very identity that God the Father has just spoken over Jesus. God has just gone, this is my son. And Satan comes in, if you are his son, he's trying to question it. But God has declared it and made it solid, and so Jesus has a confidence in it. When we give in to temptation, when we sin, it's always because our appetite isn't being fulfilled by God or our approval isn't coming from God or our ambition isn't aligned with God's. Appetite, approval, ambition being sought in other places beside God, our Heavenly Father. And yet as if we're as confident as Jesus was, in the Father's love, we can push all that stuff aside. We can be steadfast in the face of temptation if we're confident in the Father's love. You see the connection, right? 
So I'm t- I want to t- today make sure we understand the flow here from the baptism to the testings to the next scene. So then, what is the third key scene at the beginning of Jesus' ministry? This is kind of a three-part mini-series these three weeks. What is the next key scene that happens? He's baptised, he faced Satan in the desert. What happens next? This is really, really important in the big scheme of things. Uh, The baptism and the testing is actually the setting up of the main event here that will kick everything off. If we want to become more like Jesus, we've got to pay close attention to this event we're going to look at today and understand what it means for our formation, for our discipleship. Let me begin, just to keep you waiting a bit, although if you've got your Bibles, you can read ahead. But just, let me just begin with the first few words of what we're going to read today. Jesus comes out of the desert and Luke, uh, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, says that Jesus comes out of the desert, quote, in the power of the Holy Spirit. At the beginning of the passage that we read last week, he's led into the desert filled with the Holy Spirit. He comes out of the desert in the power of the Holy Spirit. Something has shifted in between when he went in and when he came out. There's a power he didn't have before. And this is really significant. Whatever God has called you to do, whatever God has wired you to do to bring positive change to the world, to impact the lives of others, to bring his kingdom to earth. Whatever it is for you and for your life, what you do will only have lasting and profound impact when it's preceded by the washing away of sin and selfishness in your life and the solidification of your identity in Christ through that cleansing process, through you resisting temptation and saying no to those other invitations. When we learn to resist temptation, not fulfill our appetites, ambitions and need for approval by means other than God, we say, no, I'm, I'm going to stay steadfast in the face of temptation, we step into God opportunities then in the power of the Spirit. There's something almost mysterious about it. You know, we can, when we say, no, I'm not going to give in to those temptations, we, we then are able to speak and act and help and bless and heal in a way we weren't able to before because the Spirit is more powerfully at work in our lives. Like Jesus went into the desert, filled with the Spirit, came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying in this that God sort of punishes us daily for our sins. <laughs> that if we, we, we give in to temptation, God sort of withholds himself from us in this way just to make our lives miserable. You need to learn your lesson sort of thing. Those who are in Christ have his spirit dwelling within them and there's nothing we can do that will, will ever make us closer or further away from him. That's not dependent on, on whether you're being a good, good person or a bad person. But the spirit's ability or, or maybe his willingness to work through us in powerful ways, it would seem that this is affected by whether we're steadfast in the face of temptation or not. There is nothing random in Luke's gospel. Luke is very intentional in everything he writes. It's not a a sort of a, a, a slip of the pen where he says he came out of that desert experience in the power of the Spirit. There's a distinct connection between these, these three uh, Im- important scenes where he was, became confident in the Father's love, 
secured at the baptism, was therefore able to be steadfast in the face of temptation, which meant he was empowered to be, and this is our theme for today, bold in delivering good news. So now we can read what happened in that significant event. If you're in Luke chapter 4 in your Bible, we're going to start from verse 14. As we've just talked about, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, into that synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Let's pause there for a second. So here's the scene. Jesus has come out of the desert experience, which came after his baptism. And he's come out of the desert in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's clearly not hiding. He's not come out and go, let's just go softly, softly. Right? He's teaching in synagogues all around the place. And word is getting out about this Jesus. News is spreading far and wide. Why is this news spreading? What's, what's so significant to people about what Jesus is saying? Well, it's because he's declaring a new and important message. He's declaring something which he called the euangelion in Greek, which simply means good news. Sometimes we say gospel. We know this because Mark, who wrote a shorter, more concise account of Jesus' life, um, unlike Luke's gospel, which we've been reading, Mark cuts straight to the point and basically says all this in a few verses. He goes, Jesus was baptized. Then Jesus went into the desert for 40 days and was tested. And then when he came out, he said this. The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Mark just makes it all very short and sweet. And this is probably Mark's summary of the essence of what Jesus was proclaiming. Whether or not Jesus got up one day and literally said, Attention everyone, here it is in a nutshell. The future, Mark chapter 1 verse 15. You know, or whether this is sort of Mark's summary of what Jesus was preaching around the place. But the message is this. Here's it in a nutshell. God's kingdom has arrived. Come turn to it. Right? God's kingdom is here. Do you want to be part of it? Come to me. Believe in me. Turn to me. Right? That's the essence of the, the good news, Jesus says, delivering all around the place. And he was not fiddle-farting around. He got stuck in synagogue to synagogue, town to town. He wasn't brash about it, but he was certainly bold, saying, this is news I want out there. He got stuck into it. He found the opportunities to deliver his message and went for it. The only problem with Mark's version of the events is that we don't have a whole lot of detail at this point, right? So Jesus declared the kingdom of here. Sorry, the kingdom of God is here, which is great. What does that mean, though? Like, okay, what does that look like, Jesus? Now, of course, we read and we see more of what that looks like. But this is where what Luke writes is kind of, I think, quite helpful. We read up to, to verse 17, he's in synagogues, then he's in the, the synagogue in Nazareth, and they, they want him to share. Uh, there's the customary reading of the scripture first in the synagogue. They're clearly doing a sermon series on Isaiah, so he's handed the scroll and turns to this passage. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written this. 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the, for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Bit of an unpacking of what the kingdom coming is going to look like. We'll come back to that. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Quite a bold statement, right? We'll come back to a few elements of this, but here's here's a few things this, this scene tells us. First of all, I think it says that becoming more like Jesus that is, growing in his character and learning to do the things he did. Becoming more like Jesus is not impossible. You may go, well, where, where does it say that, Luke? Well, we can assume it's impossible to, to go on this, become more like Jesus' journey and to, to you know, sort of have his character and do the things we do. We can assume that's impossible because he's Jesus. Anyone feel that way? <laughs> he's Jesus. He's exceptional. What we really mean by that is Jesus is God and we're not. Agreed? Jesus is God and we're not, right? I'm not God, so how can I be expected to live the sort of way Jesus lived and do the sort of things that Jesus did? And it's true. If we assume Jesus did what he did because he was God, then we'll assume, rightly so, we can't do any of it because we're not. We'll settle for uh, doing what a good Christian can and should do, whatever that is, right? It's sort of, a, well, we just do what we can. thing is, Jesus didn't do what he did because he was God. Jesus didn't do what he did because he was God. Now, there's some elements of that that he did do because he was God, which we'll come back to. But Jesus declared this at the very beginning. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus did what he did by the power of the Spirit, the same Spirit who's now given to us. Now, people get a bit uncomfortable with this. Oh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, Jesus did, you know, he was exceptional. He did things that the disciples couldn't do. Like what? Other than take on the sins of the world as an atoning sacrifice for all humanity, which I recognize as the unique calling and responsibility of Jesus of Nazareth, what else did Jesus do? that the disciples after him were, at least eventually, not able to. Sorry? Well, yep, but they cast out demons. Even the most miraculous acts. I know this is a bit uncomfortable sometimes, right? But even the most miraculous acts, healing the sick, raising the dead, his disciples were commissioned and some of them did what Jesus did. Read the book of Acts. It's a bit uncomfortable for us Western Christians to go, oh, hang on a minute. This doesn't quite look like what church looks like here. Now, it took them a while in some cases to get to that point, and not every disciple did it, but the things you read about Peter and the apostles, this was exceptional. In some cases, even more than what Jesus did. Why? Because these were not things Jesus did in his own power as the God-man. These were things 
that the Spirit of the Lord empowered him to do. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And that same Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. That same Spirit, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you and lives in me. And that's exceptional. So do you assume Jesus was who he was and did what he did simply because he was Jesus? If so, I think you've misunderstood a crucial element of the gospel, that he became one of us in every way. Do you believe that? That he became one of us, a human being, in every way. There was no cheat path to the way Jesus lived. He suffered like us. He experienced life like us. He cried and laughed like us. And he had to live. And this is the, the main point here. Jesus, Jesus, Son of God, Jesus, the God-man, had to live every single day completely dependent on the Spirit of God in order to bring the kingdom to earth. There was no easy, super-powered path for Jesus. He just sort of, you know, was tempted to sin and something just made it go, no, 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 I, I can't do that because I'm God. He was tempted like us in every way, experienced life like us, suffering in every way, and had to live completely dependent on the Spirit, just like we do. Again, confident in the Father's love, therefore steadfast in the face of temptation, so that in the power of the Spirit he could boldly deliver the good news of the kingdom. Now, as I've hinted at already, delivering the good news was not only about him standing up and, and, and preaching. It wasn't only about him standing in synagogues and giving a speech or, or going and talking to people. It was also about displaying the good news, displaying God's kingdom, in, firstly, in, in signs and wonders, distinctly giving people little tastes of God's kingdom. The kingdom of God in its fullness is described... Uh, beautifully at the end of the Bible, right? Revelation 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God and people completely reconciled and all the effects of sin removed. Jesus delivers the good news of the kingdom, yes, by talking about it, but also by giving foretastes of it. And thirdly, talking about it, giving foretastes of it, he also models the reality of it in his hospitality, in his eating and drinking and being kind and facilitating friendship and relationship and community with others. These three facets are the three facets, if you like, of, of gospel proclamation or, or of boldly delivering the good news, making space for the gospel, hospitality, eating, drinking, being with people, like displaying the kind of character and, 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 and encouraging and bringing life to people in such a way that reflects the kingdom we believe has come, right? Making space for the gospel. That can be as simple as a meal, <laughs> serving people. Secondly, declaring the gospel. If they don't hear it, how will they believe it, right? We, we've got to speak it. We've got to be able to say this is what God has done in Christ. And thirdly, demonstrating the gospel, the Spirit of God working through us in the way only he can. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. 
to release the oppressed and to uh, recover a sight to the blind. The kind of things we see in the book of Acts. Tastes, foretastes of the future heavenly kingdom coming into the reality of this world. The supernatural, the miraculous. I don't have time to dig deeply into all three of these today. Maybe we'll kind of come back and spend a bit of time on each. But I think most of us get at some level that these are interrelated. These are important factors that, that, that connect in with each other. Uh, people seeing the reality of God's love lived out when we make space for that kingdom. Hearing the truth of what his love has done, explained, and experiencing a taste of it through the miraculous work of his spirit. So don't assume that when I say we need to become bold in delivering the good news, that it just means become a great communicator. You know, learn to preach, learn to explain it really well, do courses that. I mean it's about living it, speaking it, and demonstrating it. But also don't get into the trap of saying, okay, cool, well, I think I'll pick number one because I'm good at putting a meal, a meal on the table for people and making space for hospitality. I'll, I'll focus on that one. Someone else can do two and three. Or you go, well, I'm a natural evangelist, so I'll just do the talking and someone else can do the kind stuff and the, and, and the, the praying spirit of God stuff. Right? That's not the point. Becoming disciples of Jesus means learning to do what he did, and that means all three of these. Making space for the gospel, declaring the gospel, demonstrating the gospel. Another way of saying that, making space for the kingdom of God near, declaring the kingdom of God near and demonstrating the kingdom of God near. So that we see freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and the oppressed set free. As just examples of the kingdom of God on earth. Uh, the kingdom of God means seeing these things, freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for blind, oppressed set free. It means seeing these things in a literal sense, right? The sick healed, those who are oppressed, finding freedom. It's also metaphorical. You and I were prisoners before we knew Christ even though we didn't realize it. You and I were blind before we knew Christ, even though we didn't know it. God's kingdom on earth, which is the core of the good news, means whole life transformation. It's not just, here's the way to heaven. It is that and so much more. He's renewing all things. His kingdom come. So my question this morning is, have you asked God to make you bold? in delivering that good news to people around you, in word, deed, and supernatural power, making space, declaring, demonstrating. Have you asked God to make you bold? When you thought before, well, who's the most bold and confident person I know? Maybe you thought about someone who's bold and confident in the wrong way. <laughs> if you thought about someone who's got, just got a boldness and a confidence in a good way, together with a humility, what would it be like to have that in relation to bringing the good news Delivering the good news, boldness in that. Jesus was bold. And it came, yes, from his being confident in the Father's love and steadfast in the face of temptation. So start there, ask for God to give you that confidence, to give you that steadfastness in the face of evil, but also ask for boldness. I don't know how many of you, when three weeks ago we thought... Um, you know, we thought we thought about well, what's what are some of the the elements of Jesus' character that we want to be like? If we want to become more like Jesus, what was Jesus like? Many people said kind, humble, uh, uh, um, selfless, compassionate, all all of which is true. How many of us immediately thought, 
Jesus was confident, steadfast, and bold. Confident, steadfast, and bold. And yet that's where, it's, that's where it begins. The very beginning of his ministry. Confident, steadfast, and bold. This is Jesus. This is the Jesus we follow. And together with his humility and gentleness and compassion, he was bold. Can we ask God for that same kind of boldness in declaring his kingdom's near? I want to finish with an illustration which will hopefully encourage you with at least one reason that we can have this kind of boldness in delivering the good news. Uh, Earlier this week around dinner time, for some reason, I I don't remember why I was doing it, but I was singing things to my kids instead of saying them. So instead of just saying, Micah, can you sit down and eat your dinner? I was saying, Micah, can you eat your dinner, please? Right, so I was just doing this, or I can't, it might have been before dinner. Um, and it was a bit of fun. It made them smile, like, Micah, what are you doing? Right. And then um, I was doing this with Abby as well. And Abby's my two-year-old, Abigail. And she started to sing her responses back to me. I didn't prompt it. She just like caught on. This is how we're communicating. And she, she just did it. It was sort of natural. So I'd sing something, um, you know, uh, Abby, what do you want to eat? You know, whatever. And she'd, she'd sing the response. Mostly I didn't know what she was saying, but she was, def- <laughs> she was definitely singing the responses. She then went and grabbed a microphone because clearly we're singing, so I need a, micro- a toy microphone to go with this. And I managed to get a little bit of this on camera. So have a watch. Hopefully the, the video works. We got the audio? Yep. Are you singing Abigail? Yeah. Why did you get the microphone? It was very cute, very cute. I was thinking about this afterwards and thinking, Abby didn't need to be taught how to do this. It was this sort of, this, this really interesting thing. She, just, she heard me communicating in this particular way, singing my words instead of just saying them, and she engaged with that naturally. Like she, she just, As if it was a language, she just understood straight away. It was natural. She got it. And she went, I'm, I'm just going to participate in this. I believe that's a bit like what the gospel is like. We assume sometimes that people have all these barriers up, all these reasons why they're going to think it's a load of garbage. We think they just won't understand the language, so to speak, that they just won't know what to do with it. It'll be foreign. It'll be weird. And sometimes the way we communicate it is a bit foreign and is a bit weird. But as human beings, I think human beings in general, when they hear or observe the gospel, the, the, the news of God's kingdom is near, they naturally go, yeah, I can engage with this. This is something I want. Yeah, I want to be part of this. I can, I can participate in this. Because we are wired with a longing for what the gospel promises. We are wired with a longing for the kingdom of God. As human beings, it's in us. It's, it's, it's inbuilt. 
Our only challenge is, if we're a follower of Jesus, is to clearly and effectively deliver it in word and deed. That as well as the boldness to deliver it clearly and effectively. Now, some will reject Jesus. We know this because it means giving up your way for his, ultimately. So some will reject it. But there are bucket loads of people in your life. There are bucket loads of people in my life right now who are longing for what you and I have, Christian brothers and sisters. Can we ask God for the boldness that we need, confidence in his love that we need, the steadfastness in the face of temptation, that we would be empowered by the Spirit to deliver good news as Jesus did in word, in deed, in example, in trust, in the spirit, in the supernatural even, that we'd be able to help people find what they're actually naturally looking for. The good news, the kingdom is near. Turn to Jesus, because he's the one who brings it. Father, I ask that this morning, where we've gotten even just a little lazy or we've begun to doubt whether we really would be able to live a life any, that remotely looks anything like Jesus, that you would remind us that the spirit of the living God has been poured out for us to receive, to be filled with your spirit, and to become empowered by your spirit. Lord, that we would claim these words of Isaiah too, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Declare freedom for captives and for oppressed, the oppressed, recovery of sight to the blind, the Lord's favour upon people. That we would carry this good news boldly, humbly, confidently. No, it's not about how well we deliver it in perfect words or speech it's not about whether we pray for a miracle and it does or doesn't happen it's about being obedient to you give us a boldness to step out in faith be praying for our friends to be looking for opportunities to share to show a kindness that might require a sacrifice of our time that we'd make space for the gospel knowing that that will involve making space in our very, very full and busy lives. Lord, make us bold enough even just to make small changes, tweaks in our rhythms and our calendars that would make space for you. We ask this in your name.